really pray. All right. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you first and foremost for your presence here today. And we thank you for every person that you've drawn here this morning. And we pray, Father, that our hearts today will be pliable, that we will receive your word and that your word would transform our lives. Bless the pastor. Give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So if you are a first-time visitor here, uh, I will just say you have picked a doozy of a Sunday to come. Uh, we are in a, a series called Marriage, Sex, Dating, and Hookups, and today we are exploring what the Bible says about how we are to relate as Christians to our gay friends and neighbors um, and, and also how we are to relate in the church to our brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, and so, you know, this is a, a challenging topic. And so, I, as I said before, if you, if you have, uh, you know, disagreements with this series or you have things that you want to communicate to me or you're um, upset or angry by something that's said, I do want to invite you to email me at craigwagner at gmail.com. And... Um, that worked twice. That, that's twice that that's worked. No, um, seriously, this, this is a highly sensitive topic, and it's very personal and intimate for a lot of you, and so I do genuinely invite you to engage in conversation with me on this topic. Um, you can email me. My email is on the website. Many of you already have. I've, 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 I often get emails after sermons. I've never gotten so many emails before a sermon uh, before, but I do appreciate it, and, and I want you to know that um, as a church, we are here and we're available. This is a place where you can feel safe to ask hard questions uh, and, and struggle with difficult challenges, okay? That's the kind of church that we're building here. So obviously, the issue that we're getting into today is not the easiest to address because um, all of us as human beings, we're sexual creatures. Uh, God made us as sexual creatures. And so our sexuality, our sexual desires, our inclinations... Uh, and our attractions can sometimes become an all-encompassing uh, or even sometimes an all-consuming force in our lives. And so for those individuals in our communities, in our families, in our churches, at work, um, our friends who find that they are sexually attracted to people of the same sex, um, this issue is extremely important. And it's extremely important because uh, a person's sexuality can become entwined in their identity. Uh, and so it's, it's a very extremely important topic that needs to be handled with love and a massive amount of grace and humility. Uh, and so I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether you are gay or straight, whether you are a committed follower of Jesus or just a curious onlooker, uh, that you will experience today an overwhelming sense of God's love for you, um, and that you will experience an overwhelming sense, uh, an overwhelming desire to love others, whether they are like you or not. Uh, because that's, at the, at the end of the day, that's what we as a church are called to do. We are called to be ambassadors of love to other people, um, whether we disagree, whether we agree, or what, what, whatever their position is. Um, the Bible also doesn't say that Jesus came to die for the righteous. Uh, the scripture says that he came to die for people like you and me who are hurting 
and were wounded and were struggling. Uh, And his atoning act of redemption was not just for straight people. He came to die for all of us. Gay, lesbian, straight, bisexual, transgender, the whole whole gamut. Um, And so I want to welcome everyone here today to this conversation. Um, I want to welcome you if you are gay or lesbian uh, I want to say welcome to you today. I, I hope you feel safe and loved in this environment. Uh, if you are a person who does not struggle with this issue, a person who is a little bit uncomfortable even discussing this issue, I want to say welcome to you because I hope you also feel uh, safe and loved in here. And if you are here and you're thinking, holy smokes, what did I walk into today? I thought we were going to go to church. There would be some parables about sheep. We'd have some punch and cookies and that'd be good. Um, I want to say welcome to you today. I hope you feel safe. Um, we will have a bake sale maybe in a few weeks or something and kind of mellow things out. Uh, but, but wherever you are on this spectrum, um, I, I would ask that you give this a full and fair hearing today. Um, I know that in our congregation there are men and women, and I am one of them, who hold a very high view of Scripture. Um, this church and, and I, we believe that the scripture is authoritative on all matters of spiritual belief and practice. And so for us, it's the divinely inspired word of God and it controls, it dictates our thoughts and beliefs and actions. Um, for others of you here, uh, you may not be really sure what to think of the scriptures. And this is one of those issues that causes you some concern. It causes you pause. Um, And then, as I said, there are some for whom this is not a theoretical discussion at all. It deeply impacts their life because either they struggle with same-sex attraction or somebody that they love dearly does. Um, So I just want to say that all all of that has been considered and thought about as we go into uh, this discussion. So I would ask that, that you listen to this sermon with the same degree of humility and grace as, this, as I will try to deliver it. Um, that's what I would ask. And I also want to say this, that, that I'm going to push back a little bit on the culture as well when we get into this. Um, because I want to say that if you are a person like me who believes that the Bible is authoritative on this issue, um, that does not make you homophobic. That does not mean you hate gay people or you're a gay basher or anything like that. And that's a prevailing sentiment in the culture today. And I want to push back on that because that's not accurate. Um, in fact, a friend of mine, uh, who is gay was one of my most ardent defenders on this point uh, in a, in a group of people. Um, and she defended me very articulately. I I would say her, I'm going to call her Jen. I'm going to tell you just a little story about her. Um, when Jen learned that I was a Christian, she came to me and she said to me, she said, Brent, I want to have a conversation with you. And I hope it's not an awkward conversation. Now, I had known Jen for a couple years uh, at that point, and, um, and I knew that she was lesbian, and I knew uh, her girlfriend, and, and Rebecca and I had gone out to dinner with them, and these were our friends. And, so, and, and we loved them. And so I said, uh, Jen, this, this likely will be an awkward conversation, but I want to have this conversation with you. Um, and so... We got into it. So she said, um, Brent, as a Christian, what are your views on homosexuality? And I said, um, let's talk about something easier like quantum physics uh, or, or aerospace engineering. 
Um, no, I said, well, there's a few things I want to say. The first thing I want to say, Jen, is that you know that I absolutely love and respect you, and I, and I always have, and I, as long as I've known you, and I always will, okay? Number two is I want to say to you that I am sorry because I think Christians have largely gotten this conversation wrong. We have largely screwed up this conversation because we have put this issue on a different pedestal than all other issues that everyone else uh, is challenged with and everyone else faces. And so we've sort of treated gays and lesbians as if they are uniquely condemnable differently than anyone else. Um, And so we've alienated men and women who honestly struggle with their sexuality. Um, We have seen them strictly through the lens of their sexual identity and not as human beings that deserve God's uh, love, and they are valued, and they are appreciated, um, and they are people of worth. And and we haven't done a good job at that as Christians. Um, And then I said, for me, the scriptures are the authority for my life. Um, and so they dictate my, my beliefs and my actions. And this, what the scriptures do, and, and I want to be really clear about this, what the scriptures do is they direct us as Christians how to live our lives. And the, 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 the epistles that were written to the church, they were written to us Christians saying, you are now a Christian, and as a Christian, this is how you walk in the light. And what the scriptures say is that for us who call ourselves Christians— our sexual expression is limited to that between, as between a man and a woman who are married to one another. And everything that is not, every sort of sexual conduct and activity that falls outside of that is prohibited to us. It is not permissible for us. That's what the scriptures teach us. Um, and so that is my view. I said it, I, I don't think of homosexuality on, as something unique or different uh, than anything else. And in fact... If anything, when you meet someone who is, wants to be a Christian and struggles with same-sex attraction, there should be a part of you where your heart goes out to that person. You say, you're facing a challenge and a struggle that I can't begin to imagine. Uh, and so, you know, there, there should be a level of empathy and, and sympathy. And rather than condemning them, the biblical approach is to love them and encourage them and come alongside them just like we would anyone else. So that's what I told her. And I... And I I was probably a little bit inarticulate while I did it. I sort of stumbled around with my words. But, but anyway, that's what I ultimately conveyed. And what was surprising is Jen's response. Jen responded to me, and she's a very bright and articulate person, and she's actually engaged in, in gay advocacy initiatives and that sort of thing. Um, she said, first of all, I want to thank you, Brent, for speaking candidly and and." openly and honestly, honestly with me about this topic. Uh, That demonstrates that you do actually respect me on this. And secondly, I want to say that uh, I've read the same scriptures that you do, that you have, and if I were a Christian, then I would be forced to interpret and understand those scriptures in the same way you do. So she said, I've actually gone to um, a church before that's an open and affirming church, is, 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 the, is the name or is the sort of moniker, um, and uh, have felt that the reinterpretation of the scriptures um, offered by some of those churches felt to her shallow and disingenuous. So what she was saying is, if I were a Christian, um, then I would hold the same views as you on this topic. And what I'd like to say is that 
I then led her to Christ in that moment, and then she's actually going to come up and preach the rest of this sermon. But that did not happen. Um, What did happen is she said thank you, she gave me a hug, and then we moved on. And she remains a friend of ours to this day. And in fact, when the word of, you know, the, when this conversation got out to some of our other friends uh, who hold views more similar to her than to me, they started to give me a hard time. And they, were, they would say, like, listen, Rome, are you a homophobe or what's your deal? And Jen stood up and actually defended me to them. And she said, listen, the view that he holds is compatible with his faith. And it would be incompatible and incongruent with his faith to hold a different view. And so when you have the gay advocate defending you to other people, um, you're in in good shape. So I'm like, yes, she's right. Um, Why do I tell that story? I tell that story because I I believe that it is time for um, churches that, that affirm the authority of the Scripture to radically reassess the way that we approach this issue with our friends and neighbors. Uh, We are not the world's policemen. We are not called to shout down every sin that we see. We are the light of the world. We are to shine Christ's light and love into the darkness of the world. We don't condemn people. We seek to bring people into the light of God's love, no matter who they are. We are to be a loving people, a caring people, a just people, and by God's grace, a righteous people as well. So, Here's what I'm going to try to accomplish today. And I've got my watch on. Uh, when I timed this out, it was like, you know, an hour and a half. So, um, <laughs> but we all know the matinee starts at uh, noon, so you can rest assured. Um, one thing I want to do, I want to challenge some of the attitudes and, and beliefs that Christians have held about gay people over the years. And I want to show how some of these attitudes... How many of you know that Christians don't always get it right all the time, right? So I wanted to show how some of these attitudes and beliefs and words and actions that have, that have been um, uh, propagated by Christians are not only wrong, but they're contrary to the gospel message. Secondly, I want to discuss what the scriptures actually do say on this topic. And the, the scripture is not actually ambiguous on this. It's not, it's not equivocal on this. The scriptures are relatively clear and straightforward, and so I think it's important for us to, as Christians, to approach the scriptures with integrity and with the fidelity that they merit and they deserve. Um, Third, I'm going to challenge us as a church to live in the tension of being a Christ-centered community, a community where men and women from every walk of life can come and find healing and restoration and transformation and empowerment through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to challenge us to become a community where people with every kind of struggle, every kind of difficulty and brokenness can come and feel safe in this environment, Uh, where people can come as they are and where we can trust that God will work in their hearts just like he's working in our hearts to transform us into the likeness of his image. That's That's what I'm going to challenge us to be as a church. So let's dive in. And I want to start by, by sort of asking this question and, and, and sort of assessing this initial question, and that is this. Does the Bible say that a person's attraction is a sin, their orientation, their attraction? In other words, when a young person is beginning to develop uh, their sense of sexual attraction, if that young person finds that his or her attraction is for people of the same sex, is that initial attraction 
a sin. And the reason that it's important to look at that question is because that can help largely determine whether there is hope or not. Um, I lived, when I lived in, in L.A., I had a friend, um, and I, I'm changing everybody's names just so you know, okay? Uh, I had a buddy whose name was Tom. And Tom was one of these guys who you automatically like when you meet him. He came from this big Italian Catholic family, bunch of tough, rough, funny guys, loud, kind of obnoxious. But he was the kind of guy that, like, you're, you're at a party. He would tell the joke that was just, just so borderline to being, you know, crass and inappropriate. But it was so funny at the same time that you, nobody could really get mad at him. Um, he, was a, uh, he was the first guy at the party. He was the last guy to leave. Women loved him. He was a big flirt, and he just he had he seemed to have this sort of air of just coolness about him, uh, and and everybody loved him. So, when I got a call from him one night, uh, I was surprised to hear the tone in his voice because he he sounded I'd never heard his, his voice sound like this. He sounded like he was scared and distressed and something, something terrible was wrong. And I knew that his mom had been in the hospital. So I initially thought maybe his mother had died or somebody had gotten in an accident or something. Cause I'd never heard him talk like this. And he, and he said, listen, man, can I was out, I was, I was in, I was driving. And so he said, can you swing by um, my place? And I said, okay. Um, so I went, I went by his place and I got there and he, he physically looked like he was in danger. He looked terrified. Um, his, hand, his hands were trembling. And I, I, I could not for the life of me fathom what was going on. And so I, I said, listen, what's going on? What's the matter? Um, and we enter into this very weird, awkward conversation uh, where he, he never quite came out and said what he wanted to say, but you could piece it together. And what he was basically saying was, he, that he's gay. And I don't think he actually used the word. I think I used the word. I said, are you saying that you're gay? And he said, actually, he didn't respond. He put his face in his hands, and that, and that was it. And this is 15 years ago. I had no, no idea how to, even, how to even approach this. You know, I, mean, I, I didn't have any idea because it was so totally surprising. I completely blindsided by it. Um, and 15 years ago, it was not as, you know, sort of, you know, out there in the media and so forth as it is now. And, and I, I just didn't know what to say. And strangely, I felt angry at the guy to some extent because I felt blindsided and betrayed. And like, you know, here's this guy and he's a buddy of ours. And, you know, and there's this secret that he's kept from everybody. And I don't remember exactly what I said to him as, as, as we walked out, as I walked out. Um, but sadly, I, I did not respond to it well. I actually didn't speak to the guy for like the next couple of years um, because I didn't know what to say and I didn't, you know, and, and so what I want to say about that is this. There's no question in my mind that this guy did not choose to feel the way he felt. There's no question that he would have done anything if he could have to make himself not feel that way, to make himself not be attracted to other men because his it, it was it was in direct contradiction to the the uh, the mores of his family and his family's faith and all of his friends and he knew that no one would be supportive of him 
And the truth is, he was right. I mean, initially, everyone just said, what? And just drew back from him. Um, and so all of the fear that he had about the condemnation and the, you know, the inability to open up and, and talk, you know, it was justified. Um, so why do I tell that story? I say that to say this. I don't think that the scripture is talking about a person's uh, attraction when it's, ta- when, when it's talking about this issue. It distinguishes between that attraction and the actions that follow that attraction. And so what I, what I want to clarify is this. I want us to make sure that we're not judging people that we meet. We, it, it, they come into this congregation and, and, and we see that or, or we intuit that they're you know, uh, gay or whatever. We don't, we don't judge them just based on that moment, okay? Um, because the scripture says that we all make choices about our actions, about what we do with our particular drives and our particular desires. And I would propose that each and every single one of us experiences drives and desires that we wish that we didn't experience. And your desires and my desires may be around different things, right? Your desires may be around uh, money or food or sex or power or that you covet things, or that you find that you gossip about things, or you're inclined that way, uh, and you, you feel things that you wish you didn't feel. But the Bible does not teach us that we are judged by the fact that we have these desires. On the contrary, one of the great joys of our faith is that we get to experience, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to overcome our temptations and our desires. And if, if you're like me, it's not a one-time deal. Suddenly, you know, you're struggling with some issue, and the next thing you know, bam, you never struggle with that issue, right? And if that doesn't happen for the other 98% of us or whatever we are, then why should we expect it to happen uh, with folks who, who struggle with same-sex attraction? Okay, so I want to push back just in the way that we as a church, you know, not this church necessarily, but churches have dealt with this issue, uh, in, in immediately and directly condemning people that we see uh, or that we can tell are gay. Um, so what does the Bible say about same-sex conduct? There's about six passages in the Bible that touch on the issue. Uh, three in the Old Testament and three in the New. And we're not going to go through each of the passages today. Um, I'm going to just touch on some of the New Testament passages. And I'm going to read you the 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, 9-11. through 11. Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth, and he says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there's two things I want to point out about this passage. The first thing is that same-sex conduct is not highlighted or pulled out, or turned into something that is unique and different from everything else that Paul is talking about here, okay? It's just one of the things that early church men and women in the early church struggled with, and that through God's sanctification, walking them through it, uh, they were able to overcome. Um, The second is that the Scripture demonstrates that there's hope for all of us. Paul makes a point to say 
this was you guys, right? But God has sanctified you, and he's washed you in his blood, and he's walking you along this path into a closer likeness of him. So if, if Paul is that candid and open and, and able to talk to folks that struggle with that issue, then we should, as a church, also be able to do that. First um, Timothy uh, 1, 8 through 11 provides a similar list. And then Romans 1, 26 through 28 provides a more a blanket, blanket statement addressing same-sex practice both for men and for women. So when it comes to the Bible's view of same-sex practice or same-sex behavior, the Bible is not equivocal. The Bible is, 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 prohibits us as Christians from engaging in same-sex practice or in any kind of practice that is outside of the covenant bond of marriage between a man and a woman. Um, that's what the scripture does. There are a, a small minority of recent commentators that have attempted to reinterpret these scriptures in Romans and 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy in a way that does not condemn same-sex practice. Um, and they argue that the Bible's prohibitions are actually restricted to sex between a, an adult man and, a, and an adolescent boy or that it's restricted to a ritualized sort of homosexual practice that um, is related to idol worship. But these interpretations are, are not, to me, not compelling, not convincing, uh, and the overwhelming majority of Bible scholars repudiate these interpretations. Um, they're not based on any new discoveries or any... Um, uh, any new archaeological findings, they sort of trend with the, the culture in terms of what the culture's expectations are. So the overwhelming evidence of the scripture limits our sexual practice to that which I described. It's both implicitly and explicitly stated throughout the scriptures. And so any modern attempt to revise or rewrite, rewrite these scriptures to conform to contemporary standards, I believe, is misguided. Um, maybe well-intentioned, but misguided. So, if the scripture calls for Christians to abstain from these kinds of conducts, if it calls us to a higher standard uh, of, of sexual expression, um, what do we do about our friends and our family members and our brothers and sisters and the people that we love and the Tom in our life, and the Jen in our life, and the, you know, the brother or the sister, how do we respond to them? And the answer is both simple and complex. And this is going to be a process. But we respond to them with love. We love them. We don't need to be the policeman, the judge, and the jury. We simply love them with the love of Christ. We speak the truth in love. And we trust that God will work in their hearts as he wills and as he works in our hearts. Henry Nouwen uh, was one of the 21st century's most prolific and powerful Christian writers on spirituality. And he's often referenced, you see his quotes everywhere, he's referenced by clergy and laity. And his, what's compelling about his writing is that he, he, he offers this very deep and insightful spiritual and psychological insight. He was a pastor, he was a counselor, he was a professor at both Yale and Notre Dame, uh, and he wrote the following, and I want to read you this quote. Nowen says, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain 
and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that, he says, is a friend who cares. Now, there's something very interesting because Nowen, who was a devout Christian, had never married, was an extremely well-respected scholar and writer. Toward the end of his life, Nowen confessed to his closest friends that for his entire life he had struggled with same-sex attraction. His entire life he had experienced this desire to be with other men, and yet his entire life he had committed his mind, heart, soul, and body uh, completely to God. And there are many more like him. In fact, there are a growing number of, of gay and lesbian men and women who are finding that living a life of, of, of sexual purity and chastity within the Christian community is bringing them um, a, a greater sense of joy and fulfillment and love than they were experiencing outside of that community. Um, it's not easy. Last week I was on a conference call with a pastor named John Burke. And John Burke is a pastor down in Texas. He wrote a couple books called No Perfect People Allowed and Mud and the Masterpiece. Really amazing guy. And what's more amazing is that on this conference call, there were other people on the call from his congregation, many of whom who had lived in same-sex relationships for years um, and, uh, and then came to his church. And, in fact, there was one woman who, who's... Um, story was particularly compelling. She, uh, she said she came to the church because she and her girlfriend had recently broken up, and she just thought, and I think they're out on, the, um, on their uh, sign, said something like, come as you are. And so she said, oh, really? Let's, let's see about this. We'll just see if this is a come as you are kind of environment. So she came in there and just was expecting and waiting and anticipating that people would attack her and judge her. She said uh, she walked in, and she was surprised that no one, everyone just treated her with love. They greeted her and put their arms around her and made no, no special statements or remarks to her. So she said, well, um, she started dating another woman, and so she started coming with her. She thought, well, this will stir up some problems. Uh, she was mad. She was mad at the church. And, and so they came, and then they started sitting closer and closer to the front. And she kept saying, you know what? People kept reaching out to us with love. And for three or four years, she sat in that congregation. Um, finally, the other woman that she was seeing, they broke up. And she said after four years of being in that congregation, she had then joined a small group. Um, she had basically very clearly and openly stated her position and where she was and what was going on in her life. And she was not repelled or rejected by, by the women in her group. Um, and over the years, she decided that there's something here that is more important to me than my sexuality. There's something I'm identifying in a way that's more important here than I was identifying before I got here. And so after four years, I think four years of the church, she got baptized. And that was the first time that she actually turned her sexuality and her, and her desires over to God. And she's, she, again, didn't say on this call that suddenly all those desires went away. It didn't happen. Um, what she said is that those desires didn't go away, but that she was filled with an even greater desire, a desire to walk faithfully with God 
mind, soul, and body. And for almost five years, she's been honoring God with her body and her sexuality by the power of the Spirit and of the Holy Spirit. And there, are, it wasn't just her. There were several people that expressed this same thing because what they found was a loving Christian community that didn't judge and condemn them, but that walked with them in faith, with integrity, but in faith and with grace and with love towards what God would have for them. God does not always remove our temptations or change our orientation or alter our desires. I think all of us can affirm that that doesn't always happen. But what he does do is he fills us with a love that is so deep, so rich, and so rewarding that we want nothing more than to please him. And so what does this mean for us as a church? Uh, While I was preparing for the sermon I called one of my overseers and I told him what I was going to be preaching on. And he gave me some good advice. Don't do it. He said, no, that's not what he said. Um, He gave me a visual that I think is that I want to share with you today. Um, And I want us to start thinking about this as a church. He said that every church at some point decides whether it is a bounded set church or a boundary set church or whether it is a center set church. And what he meant by that is, A boundary set church, in a boundary set church, you spend a lot of time focusing on the boundaries around the church. Who's in and who's out by who can jump through the hoops and hurdles to get you over the boundary to get in. Okay, so you spend all your time focusing on the boundaries, the the practices, the beliefs uh, that you have to get over in order to be in. That's a boundary set church. The good thing about a boundary set church is that it's relatively comfortable for those who are in because they can look around and go, I know who's in and I know who's out, right? And I can just look at you. I can look you up and down and say, you are not one of us, right? Or you are one of us. So there's a sense of security there. But on the other hand, that kind of model of a church can produce a toxic hypocrisy, uh, That, in fact, is the model that the Pharisees used. They had all of the beliefs and all of the outward actions and the external uh, observations right. They were doing it exactly right, and they could tell you with a very high degree of precision who was in and who was out by the way they were conducting themselves and by exactly how they believed everything. And what Jesus said is, you're right. You've got it all figured out. You've got it all together. Your external, you know, display is correct, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You don't have a heart of love. You don't have a heart of generosity. You don't have a heart of kindness. You don't have a heart of grace. You're toxic on the inside. On the other hand, there's the centered set church. And in a centered set church, You don't focus on this external boundary. You focus on what is at the center of the church. And for us, the center of the church is Jesus Christ. Love, compassion, truth, integrity, perfection, grace. He is at the center. We focus on the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came, died for our sins, was buried rose again and ascended to heaven to, to, and, and comes and enters into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to make us and transform us like him. We focus on Christ at the center. 
And when we think of who's in and who's out, what we, what we look at is we don't look at the boundary and we don't say, have you jumped over the hurdle? What we say is, are you moving towards Christ? Are you moving towards the center? Because some people are coming from a very, very far away place. Some of us have had the benefit of growing up around the gospel and being raised with good godly mothers and fathers and, and maybe even our natural inclinations uh, uh, you know, sort of lead us to, to, to be followers of Jesus. Other people are, are coming from a very, very different place. And the fact that they are facing Jesus and moving towards Jesus is, is all we need to know. And the centered set church, the, that idea is what I think Jesus was trying to demonstrate and the scriptures demonstrate when Jesus is on the cross and there's a guy on a cross next to him who has blown it, blown his life. All he's done all his life is, is focus on himself, selfishness. He's a criminal. Who knows what all he's done? And he's at the very end of his life. He's not done anything to redeem himself. He's not done any, he's not jumped through any hoops. He's not, he's not, he's not met any standards. He's as far away as you can imagine. If there's a boundary, he's 10 miles from the boundary. And yet he turns to Jesus on the cross and with his dying breath, right? With his dying breath, he says, can you, can you take me with you into your kingdom? And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So it has nothing to do with what this guy did with his whole life. He's turning towards Jesus. He's coming towards Jesus. And Jesus, with open arms, is accepting him. I want us to be that kind of a church. I want us to be a centered set church. A church where we come together as a community of believers. Where we don't judge someone by where they're coming from. But we help them get to where they're going. We surround them with love and patience and grace. We lead them. We challenge them. We listen. And we reveal the love of Christ to them in our words and our deeds. And I mean in a real way, in an intimate way. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And he was talking about being lifted up, you know, on the cross. But there's a poetic resonance in the statement. Because he's saying, let's spend less time drawing lines, boundary lines in the sand, and let's spend more time pursuing he who is lifted up, coming towards him. You may say, that's well and good, fantastic rhetoric. I agree. How do we do that? Do we jettison our beliefs? Do we just say, all right, look, we're going to dilute our beliefs so that we don't have any of these challenging beliefs about this issue? Uh, Do we throw it all out? Of course not. As, as, as people who affirm the authority of Scripture, the divinely inspired authority of Scripture, we don't do that. What we do is we do a few things. And Al, if you would come on up and, and play for us, I'm going to close this out. But one thing we do is we recognize that none of us are fully able and capable of living up to, to the calling that God puts on our lives. So we approach others with a sense of humility and a sense of grace. Number two, we don't treat our gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender friends and neighbors any differently than we treat anyone else. We don't make the mistake of elevating same-sex attraction above any other struggle or challenge faced by any of us. 
Number three, rather than building a barrier around ourselves, rather than constructing a boundary that defines who is in and who is out, we throw open the doors and we say, if you want to join us as we seek to walk towards Christ with your whole heart, soul, mind, and body, we invite you to come and learn and grow and take your time. We're going to be patient. We say, come as you are, but open your heart to the possibility of being changed and transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number four, we pray like crazy that God will conform each and every one of us to his image. We pray for his grace, for his truth, for his righteousness. We pray that we can speak the truth in love. We pray that we might become examples of his bright, beautiful, and glorious vision for everyone in the area of their relationships and their sexuality. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, we invite you to come and partake in the joy and the freedom of God's eternal kingdom. And I want to end with a a quote by C.S. Lewis. I, I just love this quote. And it applies to all of us. It applies to this situation. It applies to every single one of us. He says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building a quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Let's let God transform all of us today. And as he's transforming us, let him transform the way we see others. Let's be firm in our faith and firm in the grace that God has extended to us. Let's be a people of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your scripture, the challenges that you place in front of all of us. We thank you for the grace and the unmerited love that you have extended to us today. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to extend that grace and unmerited love to everyone that we meet. Help us to be different, Lord, different from those who would dilute your word and and, and and compromise, but also different from those who have been condemning and angry and unjust and mean-spirited. Help us to forge a new way, a gospel way. Maybe it's not a new way. Maybe it's an ancient way. Help us to forge the way that you would have us forge. Help us to follow you. Help us to treat people like you would treat people. Help us to love people like you love people. Help us to speak truth like you speak truth. 
Help us to walk that straight and narrow path that you call us to. Father, for this, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We lift you up. Give us grace and strength today. Make us people of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.